1: Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1128. Well, it has finally happened. uh, My first stand updates since February of 2020 have been uh, put into place. I'll be performing at Comedy Works in Denver, uh, the downtown club, from uh, October fourteen. Uh, Through the 16th. So October 14, October 15, October 16. Um, So if you're in the Denver area, or even if you're kind of near Denver, um, then you can go on the Comedy Works website right now uh, and get tickets to that October 14, 15, 16. Um, which uh, I'm going to say I believe is just ComedyWorks.com. It is ComedyWorks.com. So go there, and then I hope to see you in Denver. Oh, my God, I have not been on stage in so long. This is the longest I've ever gone. Should be fun. It's like riding a bike, right? You don't ever really forget how to do that, right? right? You might fall a couple times, but then it's fine. Hey! No, I'm, I'm very excited. I've uh, been writing a bunch of new stuff, um, some new songs and things that I've been working on. So, uh, yeah, that'll be in October. I hope to see you there. But let's talk about you, the ID10T community, events at id10t.com. Like Tim, who writes, wanna we'll let everybody know about an awesome new horror film Kickstarter for the new film Bundy Manor. Um, they're only two weeks into the campaign. They've already hit 60% of the goal with almost 300 backers, uh, but it's in the final couple weeks and it's the make or break part of the campaign. We'd love for id listeners to be a part of making this uh, awesome horror film. So many cool perks for donating, um, like a Bundy Manor VHS lamp, getting to do an escape room with the film stars, uh, with film star Sylvia Sage and signed severed arm props, set visits, so much more. Visit BundyManorMovie.com. Um, oh, I'm, I just went now. So the goal was $60,000 and they're at 59113 So close. So you can make this happen, ID10T audience. <laughs> Go to uh, look for them on Kickstarter, BundyManorMovie.com. Events at ID10T.com for everyone else who wants to uh, share a thing. This episode is Mr. Rain Wilson back. Um, who's been coming on the podcast since the earliest days uh, of the ID10T podcast? Uh, Rain and I did a little film called "House of a Thousand Corpses" together way back in the year 2000. Didn't come out till 2003, but we shot it in 2000. Um, and uh, I just love this guy. We've been friends forever. I've always been so delighted and uh, glad for Rain's very much deserved success. I honestly, I think, like, The Office is one of the most watched things in the human world. (laughs) So I'm very happy for Rain. He always works on really cool stuff. Um, He's a great actor. Um, Not just in the... Like, all the stuff that Rain does. He's just... He, he He's such a gifted performer And has such a good eye for cool stuff to pick And he has a new podcast called Dark Air with Terry Carnation Which is available wherever you listen to podcasts uh, It's a fictional dark comedic podcast That explores the on and off air life of Terry Carnation A late night talk show uh, radio show host Who deals with bizarre topics, outrageous callers And gets caught up in a mystery of his own uh, But there's a lot of really wonderful um cameos uh voice cameos in there as well so i uh i recommend it to you uh and i thank uh, mr rain wilson for coming back on the podcast uh 1128 is this one? Oh my gosh 1128 uh with mr rain wilson returning to the id10t podcast as we roll the thing
3: initiating id10t protocol
1: Here comes the rain again. Yes. Falling on my head like a memory.
4: Mm, I'd love to fall on your head.
1: <laughs> like a memory?
4: <laughs> no, not so much a memory.
1: Just a general fall.
4: Yeah. Oh, look at you
1: with the professional audio setup. Oh, my God. Look at that. Hey, you got the little robot arm,
4: j- mic stand, and fucking headphones. I'm, 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 I'm a podcaster now, Chris. I don't know. I don't know. What kind of like unprofessional? What are you talking into your little computer yeah, speaker from a right. three I, feet? You
1: know, I used to do what you're doing, and then at a certain point, I was like, you know, the the laptop sounds good. You know, I have a, you know, I got a new MacBook last last year. It's so it sounds good.
4: <laughs> I like the white zombie T-shirt.
1: You know, I wore this. I put this on today, and then I realized, oh my god, rain's going to be on today. This is accidentally perfect. This that is, is part accident- that
4: ties everything together.
1: I don't know why, but when I put this shirt on and I realized that we were talking today, I had this really distinct memory that I hadn't thought of in probably 15 or 20 years when we were shooting House of a Thousand Corpses around the year 2000.
4: Dear Lord.
1: Um, that y- for some reason, I think you discovered that Rob's. Um, middle name was Wolfgang or something and so we started doing these old timey voices calling him RW like it was an old timey <laughs> like oh, ah, we're shooting the fish boy scene today here yeah, here yeah, RW good job and we kept calling him RW and he thought it was really funny so he would play along and I don't know why I remembered that today I have not thought about that in almost 20 years
4: that is funny I I now I had not remembered that in like 20 years but you said that and I remember that it was like R.W. McZombie or Mc <laughs> uh, yes, sir, Mister Cummings. Like, um, <laughs> and cause, I think part of it is because we were shooting on the Universal lot, so yeah. it was, you know, it was like all all these old timey buildings around there, and you know, and jo- George Kukor had shot, you know welcome to Venice around the corner or something like that. So we were in old timey uh, TV voices. And-
1: uh, w. Anthony Perkins is upset. Someone's taken the last Cruller. Like it was just a lot of old timey. <laughs> I just remember us shooting. We'd shoot the movie and the house of a thousand corpses house was also this, the exter exterior house of the best little Whore House in Texas the right. movie. Yep. And we would just walk up the hill and eat dinner at this, at the psycho house, which was just an empty facade. Right.
4: But what a fucking amazing <laughs> time that was. And that was essentially my first movie because I had done a couple little appearances in some just tiny indie films in New York before I came to L.A. in 99. And then I'd done small cameos in Galaxy Quest and Almost Famous. But this was like doing a movie. This was like that was a six million, seven million dollar budget. And we were on it. I was working for three and a half weeks and we're showing up every day so um it was so cool to kind of like wow my first like role in a movie uh that had a you know a beginning middle and end and i'm here on the universal lot having dinner in the psycho house and uh watching the tourists go around on the trams remember they'd have to kind of like hold the trams while we're shooting like Hold the tourist <laughs> trams, please. They
1: must, they must have fought this house with all these weird doll heads and fucking monsters and fetuses. And, and,
4: and was is it Matthew McCrory? Was that his name? McCrory, yeah, Matt, yeah. Yeah. Matt so he's, you know, all of seven foot 10. Yeah. You know, coming out of his trailer and walking past the, the tourists on their little trams to In the that set.
1: Sweater and the mask and the, yeah. like, yeah. about it, it was, it was, it was so incredible. But I also remember, um, The I was so thankful that everyone on that movie was so funny and cool and you know uh, and and you had a background in sketch comedy and uh, Jen and Aaron were really funny and Sherry was you know obviously I already knew Sherry and Rob but it was just it was so much fun and what I loved is that Rob had us do like weeks of just rehearsals at his house which inevitably ended up just turning into like barbecues and pool parties and You running around the backyard with a towel for a cape, you know? <laughs>
4: uh, I, mean, we, I look back. Probably I, I, did I run around in my underwear? I probably did. You that. Did. yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, kind, yeah, yeah. That's kind and, of an old standby for me. And, is, and it uh, was,
1: it was sort of like when I think back on it, it was sort of like, man, that was like that was like movie college, you know? Like that yeah. was like that was our sort of. Uh, I don't know. It was it, I'd never done a real movie before? I'd done TV, but not a real movie. And it just the whole thing was like top to bottom, super
4: fun. But I think that I think those rehearsals for actors really help the film a lot because there's a certain comfort that you develop and you get to know each other and you get to know each other's energy. And then when you show up on set, you know what it's like when you do a movie and you you show up on set and you don't really know anyone and there's just this kind of self-consciousness. You you might be relaxed as an actor and know what you're doing in the character, but there's just that 10 or 15 percent of your energy is a little self-conscious and it kind of makes you kind of hold back and it. You can feel it, you know. I think you can really feel it, and when you when you really get to know a cast and the director, and you start to, you know, just to to sink in, dial in. Um, what do they call it when a drummer like is, is in the pocket, you know? Um, right. Uh, it, it helps the piece so much, and I think that's one of the reasons why it. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a kind of a classic um, horror film for mostly because of Mr. Zombie and his peculiar and wonderful vision, but. Also, because people, you pick up on that. And it was the same on The Office and some other projects that I've done where you pick up on the kind of the camaraderie, the energy comes off the screen.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it having that kind of a, because because I think an audience can tell, unless, listen, there are certainly people who can act the shit out of stuff and make, they can really make uh, chemistry, they can engineer it, you know? They just know how to mechanically do it. But I also feel like, I mean, it cannot be an accident that after all these years, particularly The Office, is still, like, as popular, if not more popular than it ever was Yeah. because of... I mean, obviously, it's just a really fucking funny show, but I think a lot of that humor just stems from the fact of, like, you take a bunch of really incredibly talented, funny people, you give them the good scripts and the ability to fuck around with each other in yeah. that layer of comfort where they all know each other, Yeah. then it just, it's like... It's just, it's magical. It's just fucking magic.
4: Well, and and, and that comes from the top down too, like with The Office. I can't believe we're we're drawing these parallels between House of a Thousand Corpses and The Office. Very (laughs) similar. Very similar. So cut from the same cloth. But the, (laughs) you know, coming from the top down, you know, and Greg Daniels in The Office, just like... He just said yes to everything, just like an, you know, oh, you want to try that? Oh yeah, let's, let's try it. Let's see, let's see what happens. Like I have a whole new idea for this scene. Great. Let's try it. Fortunately, there were no big ego cases, so it didn't kind of, because that stuff can kind of blow up in people's faces, but. That can totally go sideways. Yeah. 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 But that, that helped create that same energy. And Rob, you know, zombie had the same thing. We had ideas or wanted to try or be goofy or go off script. Like he's just, totally down for whatever. And it creates a certain kind of relaxation that you really, um, the audience picks up on.
1: Well, I, I mean, I know that there are people who thrive in turmoil. I feel like they're the, the, the minority of creative types. I feel like most people thrive when they're comfortable, you know, like yeah. when they feel like they have the room to try stuff, but it, but they, they don't have to live or die by it. It's like, we'll try this. It'll be fun. Yeah. You know, and we certainly, certainly have been on Corpses and it. And it just seems so, I mean, I've talked about this a hundred times on the podcast and a thousand times with Rob, just about how, you know, we make this movie and it's this big deal, but then it gets shelved for like two years. And then it seems like, oh, well, I guess that's never going to come out. And then it does. And then it's just like a sputter when it comes out. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess that wasn't all that for that kind of thing. Well, we still had fun. It was great. And then home video. And then all of a sudden, you know, here we are 20 years later, and people still uh, ask me to like sign their corpses, which I love. Like I love that that we have this shorthand for this like you know kind of defining moment in horror, which is you know my wife and my favorite genre. So it's it yeah. feels so really cool that we got to be a, a you know even a small part of it.
4: No, it's so rare to you know. I was thinking about this. Like, I I have done so many movies that no one has ever seen, and that no one gives a fuck about. And um, God bless them. Some of them are really good. Some are not so good. But some of them are really good. But they just don't make. If you're if you're able to do something and it's good, that's a miracle. If you're gonna make, if you're able to, let me let me back up. If you're able to make something at all, it's a fucking miracle. If you, right. if you get to be a part of a movie or a TV show and it gets greenlit and it happens and it's cast and you get paid, it is a miracle. When
1: then, you know how things can get fucked up and that it's
4: crazy that anything gets – then you go, how does anything get made? Yeah, exactly. Totally. And then and then, if you make it and it's good – Crazy. Oh, that's, that's a miracle on a miracle. Then if it's – but still, I've made a lot of things and they've been good and no one has seen them. And then if you make something, you make something. And it's good. And it resonates and finds an audience. Like, that is, like, beyond. And I've, it's only been, I don't know, three or four things in, in my whole career that have really popped like that. And um and corpses. They popped,
1: they popped really big. And, Rain, you make a lot of really cool, you know, I think maybe you might have that point of view. Because I see you as someone who makes very artistic, creative choices. You seem to work on things because... It's something innately about it just felt like this feels really interesting to me as Rain. This feels yeah. interesting to me and I want to try something, you know, because it's really interesting now to have people look back and, you know, and look at Super as this like, wow, this is really like avant-garde, like really forward thinking, like superhero, piece, like, sort of a superhero piece,
4: you know? Yeah. yeah.
1: And and so I do think that you, uh, you constantly make these really cool artistic choices and with art, you just never know what you just can never like you can do what yeah. you can do. And if it connects to people, maybe the timing was weird or it didn't get the right chance, you know, it didn't find the right platform or whatever. But but that doesn't you've done so many fun, cool things.
4: Chris, you're so kind. You're such a, a champion. And is that by choice
1: though? Is that is that part of your process where you where you like how do you, when you're presented things or you're looking at scripts and you're trying to figure out like you really do make constantly interesting choices with stuff that you do Is well that I, I love that, I love point. that
4: you're defining it as like as if I have like these twelve scripts lined up in front of me and like all these offers like hmm no i'm going to turn down the Marvel movie and i'm going to turn down the j lo romantic comedy
1: <laughs> two big and- budgets.
4: <laughs> and uh, let me do let me do this middling very strange independent film instead. <laughs> like no, it doesn't kind of work like that. Like um you know there's it's tough, you know, it's tough being being known as Dwight and just like Dwight 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 Dwight, Dwight. and it it is limiting. Um it's awesome. It's like the greatest event of my life is being in the office and next to doing this podcast mm-hmm. and um, but uh, it is it's it's you know it's tough and it, it limits things but I would say that for me part of it is Chris like it's just who I am as a person like I'm an odd person I'm just a big weird looking ungainly strange actor who has a you know very particular a point of view on the world and that attracts certain projects to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm never going to get offered like a a Netflix romantic comedy or something that's kind of bland. I always...
1: You never know that, though. You never know that, though. And I just want to drop... I I just want to drop a couple examples. First of all, because I do think it's the long game. Okay. Imagine what it must have been like for Robin Williams to come off of Mork and Mindy, which was, Mm. like, iconic at the time. Like, everyone knew him as Mork. Right. And especially at a time when TV stars did not port over to film very well. Yeah. And yet he managed to. And by the 80s, I mean, it took a while, but then people stopped going Mork, 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 Mork. And I was just talking to someone else the other day about like, you know, now Bob Odenkirk is an action star because nobody is a fucking kick ass movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I think you just never know. I really do think it's the long game of like. You know, there might be a period where people go, Dwight, 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 Dwight. But the more things you do and the more interesting choices you make, I do think that just becomes a part of your arsenal and not necessarily your defining um, imagery, if that makes any sense. Well,
4: maybe I need to be a part of the Mork and Mindy reboot. (laughs) And then they'll be like, Dwight Mork, Dwight Mork, Dwight Mork. (laughs) and uh, <laughs> nano 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 oh mindy look what i discovered oh, mm, oh coca-cola oh, oh, oh <laughs> delicious i so bubbly fizzy in my face oh oh, oh, oh.
1: <laughs> like, are you so funny? oh, no oh the office oh oh fish boy oh fish boy
4: and remember he'd always have that conversation with orson yeah mork what did you learn about humans this week oh orson i learned that people can be sad too and people are like trees. They need pruning, but they also need love. Listen, if this is your audition for the reboot, you're... Did I, am I, did I have it? Actually, as both Mork and Orson, just if I'm being honest. <laughs> I'm a little aged out of Mork now. I think I really would be cast as Orson, which would uh, be good. I could just, well, like, phone it in.
1: Remember, if you remember the Orkans age backwards... So you'd that's be actually true. a young Mork. Technically, you'd be young Mork if I'm being super nerdy about
4: it. How do you remember that detail about Mork and Mindy? Because that, that
1: takes the place of important things like where did I set my phone? All right, that is where that ran. <laughs>
4: going. That's that's where that chip in your brain is. But um, um, you know, I think um, if I may hold forth a little bit about yes. my life as an artist, of course. Um, one thing that I'm really grateful for is um, coming from a theater background in New York, because as a theater actor, it's all about like the role and the story. So right. you're not really thinking about like career. I mean, we all thought about careers, and we all, always wanted a better agent. We always wanted to be on Law and Order and get the you know sixteen hundred dollar check for you know being the guy who's like, yeah, I used to see him come around here, but now I don't see him very much anymore. That guy in Law and Order. But yeah. um uh b- but it's all about the role and like how to bring the role to life and what's the story you're telling. So right. I guess that's where I always start. Like if I get a script, it's kind of like who's the character? Have I played this before? I don't want to play a character that I've played before. Um, how do I bring him to life? How do we help tell this really interesting story? And so I think that. You know, it's all about, Chris, at the end of the day, it's that little Oscars in memoriam. Um, when when Rain Wilson dies, I want the, the three or four scenes from the movies and the stuff that I did to be in that gauzy kind of video montage thing. And to have yeah. people go, oh, yeah, he did a lot more than Dwight. And, oh, he did some of those. Oh, he did some really interesting roles there.
1: Well, technically, I guess if it's the Oscars, it'd be weird if they showed a TV credit. So they'd probably have to show film credits. So that's true. It'd probably be uh, maybe, maybe
4: Fishboy would be the final Fish image.
1: Boy. I hope it's first of all, I hope you don't die. Second of all, I hope it's Fishboy, you know, someday in the f- hopefully far distant future when you do. Because I also remember that you sitting in that configuration was like that was a pretty much an all day. I think you were in that configuration for eight or nine hours because they had to sort of like Wayne had to mold you into that pose.
4: That was not,
1: that was not a mold. That was you like frozen into a space, you know, you were taxidermied.
4: Yeah, it was, I needed like nowadays there would have been like someone doing physical therapy on the set because I had to go my torso through this table and then I had to lean Crane my torso over all the way to the right. So my spine was just like warped like a, like a Twizzler, you know, for hours at a time. Um, and yeah, I was sealed into that table so I couldn't move. It was, it was, it was pretty brutal, but I was just, you know, I was so young. It was my first big movie. I was just like, yes, I get to do this. Um, now I'd be like,
1: sketch comedy too, though, because you had a sketch comedy group. Yeah. So it was very, charactery in that way it felt like it was it was kind of sketchy and like a like I don't mean sketchy as in like bad news I mean sketchy yeah. as in like sketch comedy like
4: yeah 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 it was yeah this the 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 group that brought me out to LA was called uh, the New Bozina and we did this crazy messed up show with these weird clowns and giant talking birds that were having a kind of incestuous love affair and it was very very surreal and um so I had been doing a lot of that um when, when we started Corpses.
3: Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
1: I always marvel at the fact that The Office was a show that, you know, America has not historically done a great job of adapting British source material. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that often comes from the fact that, you know, even though the Americans and the Brits use a lot of the same words, we don't necessarily speak the same language, like we don't Mm. speak the same cultural language. So things that work well over there that makes sense over here we try to translate them and then it sort of loses the magic that it. but somehow the office managed to be its own completely own thing like not that it somehow paid homage to the source material but also at the same time was entirely its own entity which is a Mm -hmm. a real feat
4: yeah I mean you know listen we've all said this but you know our fearless leader Greg Daniels he was the one behind that like he's this brainiac comedy writer from Harvard he was he had been on The Simpsons he had been on Seinfeld he had been on Saturday Night Live um, he'd really like come up through classic comedy and he's just so friggin smart like every decision you know he he just like really rigorous rigorously behind every creative decision that was made and I think that's very rare in TV comedy you know it's um, it, it, and he made everyone feel like they were a part of making those decisions. So we would have long conversations, like multi-hour conversations about Dwight, and like we'd look at the glasses and we'd try on all these different glasses and which one do you like and why and how is this? Di- we don't want nerd glasses. We don't want glasses we've seen before. You've got to show my face, so there can't be glasses that obscure the face, and it's got to feel like, you know. Uh, glasses that are out of time. you know, like the, the amount of like thought that went into Dwight's glasses, for instance, and that's just one detail was, was really uh, incredible. I've never seen it before or since. And I think that's, I think that's the number one reason why the show worked the way that it does.
1: And also I think why it's so rewatchable on Netflix that it is basically, uh, I mean, listen, I think because it even predates the pandemic, like people like watching the shit out of the office on Netflix, but especially in the last year where people feel out of sorts and their worlds are upended and, you know, it's scary and no one knows what's going on. There's nothing like a show that you've seen a hundred times, just like the the safety and warmth of a nostalgic comedy ride to just make you feel like. Hot. like it legitimately is is very good for mental health, I think. So even just that, that we live in a time where, because cause when we started, you know, you could buy, like home video was a market, like you could buy VHS, you know. But, sure. but the idea that we live at a time where we can pr- pretty much call up anything that we've ever seen, that has yeah. ever been made, on a device that we carry in our pocket or just in our in our homes is, yep. is pretty remarkable. And I and I, I I do believe that it nets very positively, but I also just feel like, wow, as a as a creator now, you know, it used to be like, well, how do I get through the limited number of gatekeepers who decide who gets to see what? And now it's like, okay, now a lot of the gatekeepers, like that has opened up quite a bit, but now there's a gazillion things. So how do I? As a as a as a creator, like rise above the the million other things that are you know vying for people's attention to watch.
4: Right, right. It's a different set of challenges. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's so much you said there that I want to unpack. But the first thing that pops into my head is, so my son is 16, totally into music. He really loves um, indie rock like really out there, obscure indie rock stuff from the nineties. Like he's deep into like built to spill and Sabado and, and Sonic youth and um, a lot of like really experimental noise rock and stuff like that. And um, he just loves it. And he's got, we've got Spotify. So guess what? He can listen to any song that's ever been created in the history of the human race at a touch of a button. It's, and I, I don't know what it was like. I'm a little older than you. But when I was 16, I had Columbia Records and Tapes. So... Did you do Columbia House? I did Columbia House Records and Tapes. So are you paying for it? Did you ever pay for it? I'm still paying for it. Every week, I send them $3.75. Them for a penny.
1: Oh, shit. Now I'm subscribed. So for
4: those Gen Zers who are listening, essentially what you did is you, there was a clip out in the newspaper. And it's like, or you can order 16 cassettes or records, each one for a penny, as long as you buy 3 at the full price over the year or something like that and of course it was a scam so you got this giant stack and you're really excited you get a stack of cassettes or records but then you'd get sent this thing every week and you had to fill out the form and send it back in otherwise they would bill you for a you know a new cassette or, or whatever but it was a great way for a nerdy little suburban kid like me to like build a collection and so i had my you know i had my 27 uh columbia house record and tape albums that I would play over and over again. But for Walter, it's like a touch of a button and anything he wants to listen to is there. Plus it's got algorithms and it's like, Oh, you loved listening to the pixies. Then you're going to love this band. And it turns you on to new bands and stuff like that. So it is a very different world, but going back to something else you were talking about, like that has been one of the most interesting I would say one of the most interesting things about my life is the fact that The Office went from a unappreciated show of the early 2000s that was popular for a while. But I don't know if you remember, like in our last couple of seasons, especially when Steve left, people were like, oh, The Office sucks. And no one was really watching us in 2000. can't even remember what years we're talking about, like, you know, 2013, 14. And... And then it kind of went away and trickled away. And then not just the resurgence, Chris, but this whole thing where The Office is a salve. It's a bomb for people's Mm -hmm. anxiety. And they're just watching it, you know, like this Billie Eilish interview that I did. Like she just watches The Office over and over. She wakes up and starts watching it. And it's by her bed. She's eating her bowl of cereal. It's in the studio. She's on the car on the way to the studio. The office is constantly on. It's like this comfort blanket of these characters that you know and love. And that is truly, it's strange and pretty fucking wonderful.
1: Well, yeah, because it, you know, our, our sort of, our old timey media model suggests like, well, you do a show, you get to a certain number of episodes and it can go into syndication. But, you know, you still have to like, you still have to kind of catch it. Uh, but then, and then, and then home video, but then you, but then that just takes up so much physical space. Like how many seasons, you know, it's like everyone had a collection of videotapes, but you, you had to be a real serious collector to have, like for instance, Rob Zombie was a serious collector. Like the first time I went to his house in the late nineties and he opened this closet and it was wall to wall. It was just like a library of content, but you really had to. You had to hunt that down. It was a yeah. hunter-gatherer um, uh, type of uh, of an undertaking, and, and even like your Columbia House thing. Like, how are you? How do you get exposed to new music? I don't know. You had to go out of your way to try to find it and meet people and go to different record stores and find, you know. But but for the office, it's just there, and it it is interesting to see these things have second lives, or you know, or like you know, like with corp- corpses have, having a second life. You just it just constantly goes to show you that you never know. You can do mm. something and forget about it, and then you know three years later you get a call like this thing is the biggest thing in the what? I, but we did that age. What are you talking yeah. about? How was that yeah. even? What you know? So yeah. it must really. It really says something about the quality of the work and the quality of the show that it can continue to resonate with people, yeah. and also it, it speaks to the idea that you know the gatekeepers. Uh, we're not always right, <laughs> often not right. So yeah. when they would pick and choose or cancel something or shelve something or whatever, it's like there's an audience out there for it. And we just needed the right technology and the right platform so that those audiences could commune and find those things together. And yeah, yeah I mean, Netflix doesn't share numbers, but I remember a few years ago, some leaked for like the number of people that were watching The Office. And it was like, it was bone chilling. I mean, it was like hundreds of million. Like it was yeah. fucking mind blowing.
4: Yeah, the the minutes watched were like in the billions, and it was like <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, and and it's funny because you talk about the gatekeepers because the office was always underestimated by those gatekeepers. Like we barely made it onto the air. Um, we barely hung onto the air. They barely promoted us. They. And then all of it, we just kept getting better numbers. And then all of a sudden, we're anchoring Thursday night. But as soon as our numbers dipped, then they moved us away. They didn't want to, you know, we wanted to leave the show, but they also wanted to cancel it. And they they undersold the syndication, and they underpaid people. And and even when they sold it to Netflix, they sold it for some really, like, essentially chump chump change. When they first, in that first sale, they're like here, you can have all these office episodes for like five years for like $10 million. You're yourself out. Good luck. And it became the, the thing, the number one thing on Netflix for, for so long. So it has been, yeah. And they, you know, I think they're figuring out now with Peacock that it's anchoring an entire network now. And they've kind of figured out to not underestimate it. Finally, you know, what is this like 15 years, uh, 16 years since we started.
1: Well, again, yeah, and you know, and but but you just never know. Like you you just don't you just don't know. You don't know what people are going to gravitate toward, and you know it it is a great show. But I think if someone had asked you, like, do you think when this goes on Netflix that you know eight you know six hundred million people are going to watch it? Be like, I don't know. That sounds like a big number. I mean, it's (laughs) it's like, but you just you
4: just can't ever you just don't know. But do you remember the show that kept us on the air? Was um, my name is Earl. Right. Was a big, big hit, you know, and um, uh, and that and we were on right after them and that we hung on because we were a good match for them. They were both single camera comedies and they're a little quirky. And now no one really talks about My Name is Earl, but it was huge for a while. It was two or three years. It was a very it was a top 10 show. And also
1: just the changing television landscape and trying to understand, like, <clears throat> what does the traditional sitcom look like? And, yeah. you know, I know Netflix exp- has been experimenting with traditional sitcoms and, you know, but that idea of, uh, you know, the, the, the original Office was really part of a different era of television. And I think a show like Big Bang Theory, like really just, that was sort of Indiana Jones grabbing the hat under the wall as the wall closed. Like uh-huh. that idea of, you know, this sort of traditional, like high budget, you know, um,
4: multi cam mega
1: mega hit sitcom. I mean, I don't know what that is now or what that looks like or how things are gonna, I think they're still trying to figure it out, but as you know, as the streaming services have started to branch off these, you know, mega corporations and, and, Mm -hmm. um, supplemental to network, like, what does that mean? Are people going to watch networks less? Are people going to watch streamers more? Is it about library content? Like, I But don't... isn't
4: it, isn't it kind of weird, Chris, that in the last 10 years, there have been so few successful comedies and so few really good comedies? I'm, I hate to say it. I'm not trying to be like Mr. Snobby Guy, like, oh, they're not as good as The Office. But there really have been very few comedies in the last 10 years that have really, really made me laugh. I'm talking about new ones. Right. You know, I really liked Silicon Valley for a while. And I think um, Search yeah, Party, Search Party is really was, funny.
1: Modern Family was huge. Modern uh, Family.
4: But that was kind of still in the office realm. I'm really, really talking about yeah. like ones that started, you know, I think Ted Lasso is, is charming and funny, um, but it's very few. It's hard for me. And I think it's hard for others, too, because I talk to people about this, even non-show business people. It's hard to find, like, what's that new comedy that really gets you excited? Well, it's, it's, why is that? Why are we in an era where... Good comedy is not as prevalent anymore.
1: I think it's just that we're used to. I I I do believe it's there. I think it's just scattered to the wind to the extent that. What do you, know,
4: you watch? What do you like in the last ten years?
1: Uh, what we do in the shadows, I think, is fucking amazing. Yeah, that's
4: great. That is good. Um,
1: I loved Baskets, Zach. I, I did too. I love Baskets. I really loved Baskets. Okay, um, now th-
4: this is where all the comments go. Like, rain makes a thesis. And then quickly walks it back, realizing that. There you know a what's lot weird of
1: people- is that my my wife and I actually don't watch a ton of comedy. Yeah, actually, she was watching this. She's been in like she's been in really in a mode lately of watching like dystopian tech future shows. Sure, we're watching this British show now called The Feed, which is really interesting. David Thewlis and a bunch of really great actors of this sort of dystopian future, where are where we have like. Um, basically just the internet in our heads and we're all connected but sure. then she i saw a few episodes of this she's sort of watching it without me but the show called upload that was really fun that's yeah. um, robbie amell and it and it's and that's, it is
4: that's greg daniels
1: that's the creator of the oh office. my god well there you go okay well so there you go and I, I thought that was really funny too like that 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 show had some incredible moments of like oh wow and so but in general um, so I just think that the, the comedies used to be very corralled around an infrastructure of Thursday night, Tuesday night, Sunday night, Friday night. So we, we saw them all in clusters. So mm. we thought like other, oh, so whereas there might not be like a, you know, a must see TV lineup per se, yeah. there are a lot of these comedies that are scattered to the four corners. Um, you know, like, uh, atlanta it was a stunning show like yeah.
4: uh, uh, but all uh, the shows that you're mentioning have uh, like a grand total of like 17 episodes
1: that's true and so yeah so maybe we're getting a little more british with our <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like yeah. we do a short season so i do think they're there i just think they're not and also it's what i think is sort of in a weird spot right now is the classic like live audience for camera sitcom it's it's a strange. Uh, it used to be such a staple of television, and now I just and and again I I might be speaking out of turn. I might be totally ignorant about how shows are doing, but just in terms of like 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 big event, you know, four camera sitcoms. Admittedly, I don't watch we yeah. don't watch that kind of stuff anymore. Anyway, I don't know why we just mostly watch horror and a handful of comedies and some weird sci fi stuff, but. Um, but I, but I think the four camera sitcom is in, is in need of some kind of refresh. I don't know what it is, but I think that's kind of why there was a shift to the single camera. There was just a little more freedom and you know, the, the, the way it's directed, it can be a little more. So I I honestly don't know.
4: Make it more like a film. And I think young people like the single camera. I think they view the multicam as crusty and old fashioned or something like that. Like. I was thinking the other day, like, how fun would it be to do a multi-cam, four-camera uh, sitcom, but but it's science fiction? <laughs> oh, could, you do, could you do that? Could you set it in the year 3000 or something like that? But it's... I
1: don't, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know... it would
4: be like on a space station or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, like a live-action Futurama, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah,
1: I mean, I don't... Oh, yeah. And then, of course, in terms of comedies, like, you know, Rick and Morty...
4: Uh, Mm -hmm. we watch, uh, a lot more in the animation, a lot more has moved to animation, a
1: lot, a lot of animation, you know? Um, and so I think it's just, and we love Justin's other show, uh, solar opposites is really fun too. So, you know, they're, they're out there, they're just on, you know, they're just on Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, Peacock now Paramount plus like, you know, but also CBS, ABC, you know, so it's just, it, 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 we are really sort of chasing our content and, and, and really sort of reforming so what it's, you it's seg- line up with apps.
4: It's more segmented. So it's just like really thin slices mostly. Whereas, yeah. you know, Thursday night NBC, 9 p.m., um, there were so few things to watch that you had 33% of your eyeballs were on Friends at 9 p.m. or Seinfeld or something yeah. like that. And yeah. now it's little little eyeballs watching, you know, the – The the 275,000 people that are watching baskets, you know, they
1: don't, you know, it's like, especially with the streamers, like the streamers don't need you to, they don't, they don't need a ton of people to watch each thing. They, their main goal is that they need people to not unsubscribe. They need people to subscribe and then not unsubscribe. Yeah. And I guess statistically, if you don't unsubscribe for 18 months, you are likely to never unsubscribe because that monthly charge just becomes a part of your. Wow financial how do happens. the
4: kids do it these days i'm I'm subscribed to like seven or ten of these things and i even feel a little i'm 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 rich and i feel we're, weirdly guilty about it like i feel bad for the kids these days i guess they just like hack each other's passwords how does that work for, i honestly yeah, it's the new sharing you, you've cable. got your finger on the it's uh on the
1: splicing yeah. it's the new splicing the coax cable like hanging out the two adjoining apartment windows yeah now it's like sharing passwords I honestly don't know. I think people just sort of pick and choose, you know, they just kind of pick and choose what their basic things are, you know, and then it is overall value. It's like, what are you going to not subscribe to Disney plus? They have all the Fox stuff. They have all the Marvel stuff. They have the Star yeah. Wars. You know, it's like yeah. the, the value there is overwhelming. Like, of course, you know, for yeah. $8.99 or, eight or 10 bucks a month. But I find it interesting though, that you talked about my name is Earl being a lead in and the importance of your lead in. But now because of binge watching, your lead in is your own show. <laughs> so right. if you watch episode three, now you can watch episode four and then episode five. So it's not, even that structure has changed. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, you know, I think the, the days of having to um, cluster 20 million people to watch something yeah, aren't necessarily, you know, like now it's a big deal if, you know, a million or 3 million people watch, yeah. you know, like, totally. wow, that's crazy. You know, and they oh, even now God. add it up it's not even live views anymore it's like views plus 3 or 7 days how many people are watching over this you know extended period of time
4: it's just like podcasts they work the same way it's it's not even yeah it's good i suppose to have a lot of people listen right away but how many people are listening over over the months that follow well
1: there are and listen this is not to you know i love that you've done a podcast and i love that you've done a scripted podcast but there are a million podcasts now so it's difficult for people to listen right away, like right when something drops. And so I do think people ultimately get around to it. But I also think there is a lot of room for podcast growth, because I still don't think it's something that the majority of people do. It's a lot of people do it. yeah, But I still think we forget there are people who are like, what's it now? Where do I go for that? How am I supposed to, what is Yeah, it? but isn't that,
4: isn't that, that's my aunt Wendy who's 68 years old. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? She, she, how do I get to a pod? You've got a new podcast. How do I listen to it? What's There's an pod? app on your fo- phone that's called podcasts. It's purple.
1: What? what? I have to get in a pod? No, 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 what? no. It's just, a, it's just what it's called.
4: Yeah, but so, it's going to grow more and more, you know, because all the all the Gen Zers and millennials listen to them all the time. It's a regular part of people's lives. So um, it's it's the future, baby.
1: Well, I love the idea of scripted podcast because I think it's a great, inexpensive proof of concept. You know, yeah, um, we, we had been I'd been involved with working on a uh, got to help promote like a Futurama thing a few mm. years back. And the idea was like, hey. What if you guys did a Futurama like scripted podcast? Because then that takes all the budget out. You know, it's like right. It's going to pay, and you know, it's heartbreaking to me as someone who loves animation so much to say like, what if you take the animation out of it? But even just as a proof of concept, or or even with uh, even with Terry Carnation, your sh- your podcast because it's a proof of concept and it's significantly less expensive to just record it in in you know, with everyone in their house just recording yep. voiceover as opposed to trying to pitch it as a live action, you know? So, yeah. you know, it's the kind of thing where if it works, why couldn't you do Terry Carnation on, you know, FX or AMC or whatever, yeah. take it over to a different uh, medium?
4: Yeah. And that's, and that's why, and that's part of the reason why we did it as a podcast. Um, also from just from a sheer business for, for those who want to know more about inside showbiz, Um, There's this thing called IP, which is intellectual property. So if you create something in like a graphic novel or a podcast or some other medium, um, then you own the intellectual property. And then if you sell it, if you – let's say you you draw and create a graphic novel and then someone wants to make a movie out of that graphic novel, you own the underlying rights. But if you just go bring a screenplay to a – Um, to a studio they're going to own you might get a small portion of it but they're going to own the intellectual property underneath it so that's what we also wanted to do with terry carnation um, was you know own the underlying ip and then we can do you know i was talking to i have a a book agent, and I was like, "Oh, we could do a Terry Carnation book, or a Terry Carnation Halloween special book, or something like that." And we could do a, a movie producer friend of mine called like, "What about a Terry Carnation movie?" And it's like, "Yeah, we could do could do a little movie that would be fun." Or we're certainly, you know, considering maybe a future in TV or something like that. But it is, it is. It's way easier to write scripts and record them over Zoom, which is what we did. It's a complete zoom podcast. We didn't even bring cast members into a recording studio. everyone recorded from home um than it is to to shoot something and light sets and have catering and crews and trailers and trucking and locations and all of the stuff that goes into into shooting something so um we learned a ton we learned about what works and what doesn't work and Helped me kind of find the character along the way, and um, it's been a fun, wild ride.
3: Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Everyone's journey is different, so your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N O O M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
2: If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love The Thrill of the Hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back, and you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores, like Urban Outfitters, Sephora, and Nike, and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or a check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
1: But I think it's also great for people who, because I I do think, and I think it's really more our generation who is so used to the old media model of like, you have to wait for permission before you can do your craft, you know, like you have to, someone has to anoint you you know uh, and it's usually a marketing person that you know <laughs> you know but but the idea that for, for for younger creators or for anyone who's starting out now it's like you just gave such a beautiful piece of advice which is like make your thing and then it's ip and it's not just an idea that you're handing over to someone yeah. else it's also yeah. it's along the proof of concept lines you might have a vision in your head and it might be very well thought out and you go and pitch it in a room and if they don't if they don't see it or they can't quite, or it doesn't fit in with, you know, whatever sort of mandates they have in the ever shifting landscape of, you know, network needs or company, you know, whatever the platforms need, then it's not going to go anywhere. But if you make it, it's a lot easier to go. This is what this is. And not only is this what this is here is this audience. I can tell you who this audience is. Do Mm -hmm. you want to connect with this audience? If so, do this thing like it's all pretty much done for you you just have to take it to the next level as opposed I mean, to starting from scratch
4: and, and 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 we've we're just starting out but we've got about a hundred thousand listens on each episode that's and fantastic. and in this really crowded marketplace that's hard to do it's not a runaway hit it's not but it's people are really digging it you know and um uh and that's as many people as are watching certain tv shows i mean you know i don't I, mean?
1: I, I might i feel like this number is correct and if i'm wrong i apologize but from what i understand if a podcast gets above like 50,000 downloads you're already in the top like 1% of podcasts wow so if you're already getting if you're already doing those kinds of numbers you, you're you're it, it actually i would argue that it is a runaway success you know mm-hmm. i mean you can't compare It's like you can't compare to like Rogan, for example, who is so like his numbers are so unbelievably high that that's just like, well, that's that that's its own thing. But you're already uh, you're already in the top, top, top. So it like and you don't even know what could
4: happen in a month or two. Like, Chris, you know what I'm going to do, because here's what I here's 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 what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you more often because you're so good for my self-esteem. Cause I'm like poo-pooing the roles that I did and no one ever watched them and poo-pooing the podcast. And you're such a positive force of support in my life. And you've already made me feel so much better. I'm going to call a couple, you on a... a couple
1: reasons. Number one, I love you and adore you. Number oh. two, um, I also, you know, listen, I think we all struggle with those things as, as artists and creative types and people who we don't really have, normal markers for success in the creative arts how do we how do you how do you know you know yeah. and so it's easy to it's easy for us to get down on ourselves or to beat ourselves up or to focus on because it you know it is largely a business of rejection and you're fighting to get your voice out there and you're fighting to sell things and get get stuff done so it's e- it's so easy to go oh this is dumb or god i don't know it could have been this but it's not. and so I know that I do that. I'm, you know, horribly critical of my Mm. work and myself. And, and so when I see other people do it, I just want to be like, don't do that. Don't do what I do. Ah, You're you're better than this. You know, I don't want you to feel this way and you shouldn't because I'm, I'm, I'm not just blowing smoke to say that those are really solid numbers in the especially in the marketplace where everyone especially during the pandemic understandably so a significant number of people started podcasts because they were like well what else are we going to do you yeah. know so it's you know it's it, the people that 10 years ago when when we started our podcast 11 and a half years ago we were having to convince people and you were one of the first people to do it that's you right. actually your episode was where we came up with enjoy your burrito that's right um, and so back then we were having to convince people like, well, it's like, uh, you know, it's not a radio show, but it's sort of like, you know, we had to sell people to do it. And now <laughs> a lot of those people that we had to still do it have their own podcast, you know, so it's just, it's shifted. So it's, it's yeah. gone from what's a podcast to, oh, you got a podcast too, huh? <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I just don't, I, I just don't want you to undersell to yourself that that's an incredible accomplishment, but it's a, it's a great cast. I, I you know, I know, uh, you and I, I saw other guest voices: Yvette Nicole Brown and Tom Lennon. Uh, Fillion was in there. Yeah,
4: um, Al, Al Madrigal.
1: Al Madrigal. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a heavy hitter list of of comedy all stars. So I'm not surprised that it's doing well.
4: Yeah. Thanks. It's it's been a, it's been a lot of fun, and it's and it 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 feels curiously old fashioned in a way. So it, it feels like we're doing a Jack Benny radio hour from 1920. Because we're this is scripted, so it's um, really cutting edge and really, really, really old-fashioned. Like, since the beginning of media in the United States, you know, scripted, you know, sound effect of... Oh, sounds like someone's at the door. Hello? Oh, hi, Terry. Come on in. Hello. May I have a glass of lemonade? Yes, you will. Oh, mm, that's delicious. Now, have a seat, please. Like... That's as old fashioned as it gets. So it's yep. been really fun to do that as well and try and turn that on its head. And you
1: have to act with your voice, like because you can't rely on, yep. You know, even the even the bunch of times because the you know, thrilling adventure hour. Which did you ever do thrilling?
4: I I didn't. I I've, I've heard of all about it, but I haven't. And so I never it, you
1: know, it was just masterful in the way it was done. But even thrilling had a live audience, and a lot of old radio shows had live audiences, so you could do like. You could do sort of facial asides to the audience or whatever, you know, but when you're doing just like a full on scripted, you know, you have to, and you're not doing cartoon characters, mm-hmm. you gotta fucking act all that shit with your voice. You have to convey everything just with your voice and nothing yeah. about your physical presence. So that's a whole other, that is, that is a little bit of like, you know, exercising with, with, uh, with weights on, on your ankles.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I often wonder, um, where all this, you know, like scripted podcasts, like are, are there going to be, is there, go, are there going to be like aggregate networks? Is it going to end up being like visual media in, 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 in a way? Because there are so many podcasts now. It's like, well, how do you sort through mm. and how do you, you know, who aggregates those? So people, when they do kind of jump mm. into, you know, listen to podcasts like, so they're not just overwhelmed. So it's not like, fuck, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, like I, I just can't figure out where that's going to go.
4: Uh, it's all word of mouth, isn't it? I mean, I really don't listen to podcasts unless someone says, you've got to listen to this episode. Or you've got to listen to this murder mystery or you've, you've got to listen to this thing. So I think it's really, again, curiously old fashioned, you know, people, people listen to them because their friends are like, you got to listen to it. These are our people. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just depends on,
1: you know, There, you're right, nothing is better than word of mouth. Word of mouth is 100%, no matter how much social media in you do, no matter how many emails you send out, you know, when when the content is connects with people, and it excites them, they will share it. Because as fans, you know that when you hear something that fundamentally is fresh to you or changes the way you think of, you want to share that with everyone, you know, that also likes those things because you want them to experience it too. So it is, you know, nothing will really replace word of mouth. And I even honestly, I question how effective social media marketing is anymore, just from the standpoint of like, you know, algorithms sort of crush stuff down that is, too yeah. salesy. And, too
4: promotionally. Yeah. Too promotion-y yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm. And everyone knows they're, you know, here's a celebrity and they're going to offer three fun photos behind the scenes. And then one photo that's going to be, here's their new movie or their new book or their new but, podcast. Right. Or, but we're just
1: all so accustomed to it. It's just like, it's right. just, it, it gets, it's so noisy. So it, I think it really, and this goes back to before about how do we know, how do we know we're doing a good job? And I think, you just have to like what you're doing and, and hopefully you accomplish what you set out to accomplish and that. And that's about as far as it can go. And I, and I hope you feel that way, especially when you look at the breadth of your career, you know, yeah. you, you, I, I do restate the initial point that I made was like, you've done, you've made a lot of really cool, interesting, fun movies that I know uh, have really resonated with people. It's just that, you know, it's that old Mystery Science Theater thing of like the right people will get this, you know?
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: And the people that you resonate with your stuff, like really, re- like the people who, with corpses, like the people who are diehard corpses fans, they know everything about it. They're super into it. And, yeah. and that's, that's, that's amazing. It's, a, it's really fun to be a part of that.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do. I, uh, you know, like I said, I, I just, I hope at the end of the day that people will go like, ah, he did a little more than Dwight. He, he just did a little more than... Dwight was amazing. He's going to be known for Dwight. It'll say Dwight, the guy who played Dwight Schrute, will be on his tombstone. But he did a couple other projects that were pretty cool. You that's, don't, all. Well,
1: that's all. That's all. You don't know that that's going to be the case because you're still... Because we're
4: going to remake Mork and Mindy. <laughs> no, 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 no. Shazbat. Shazbat, Chris. Oh, look at this. What happened? I, I don't know what to do with this. Do I sit on it? Do I put it in my mouth? I don't know. Mindy, how about some of those scrambled eggs you've been talking about?
1: Don't eat those eggs. Those are my children. Remember? Ah, Eggs, like he he came in an egg. And then then if you remember, spoiler alert, he and Mindy get married in the last season, I think. Oh, dear Lord. They consummate the marriage and Mork lays an egg that comes out of his navel. Rectum?
4: Oh, navel, okay. I
1: think rectum would have been the first choice, but they went with navel.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, just got the news. Sorry, ABC did not okay the egg coming out of the rectum. Gotta find
1: a different orifice. Not for anal. Uh, it stands let's, for. A, let's yeah. let's hear let's hear pitches. So okay, so John, I'm not going to shit out Jonathan winners, but I I can then we so we can't do the egg out of the ass. Okay, fuck. All right, I guess I don't know. What's another
4: hole? Well,
1: um, so then, dick hole is way out. Then right? Like that's yeah, we
4: can't. I don't think urethra. I don't think they're going to go for it. I'm sorry. It's I'm just sorry. right
1: around the corner. Like it's an easy. Okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, he
4: could vomit it up. Eh, we've seen uh, that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, little, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It might be too far. I guess. Uh, I guess navel, navel, Naval.
4: Ah, uh, we'll go with navel. It's we'll with it's fine. Fu- it's fine.
1: Yeah, Robin will make it. I remember all this Orkaminda tribute, but the Orkins were. I think they were. They were like test tube, like they didn't have navels. So it was a big deal when he lays the egg, he has a navel they didn't have before. And the egg
4: hatches. And of course, it's Jonathan Winters. How how does him and Mindy have sex? How does that work? He has a a functioning penis that achieves orgasm and has ejaculate. It might have been in the
1: director's cut, but I don't think it was in the initial run. When they were pitching like anal egg laying, I think they were like, so... are we we showing full pennant or just like half pennant? So not, not at all. So what does he,
4: what does Mork have? Is there hair there? I mean, what,
1: you know, they never did full, even though it was the seventies, they never showed full frontal on work and Mindy. So I don't, uh, Hmm. I'm not, I'm, I'm actually not in our version, Chris,
4: we're going to show full frontal as as much as we can. (laughs)
1: That's all. That's the whole thing about like, you know, remaking stuff. Now it's like, yeah, it's now, but it's You know, if like if we made if we did Christopher Nolan's Mork and Mindy, then I feel like it would be really gritty.
4: I think Mork should have like a three foot penis with like barbs on the end, and it has He's almost not like
1: attached a... to him. He keeps it keeps it it's separate. <laughs> it's kind of its own entity. It's a character voice. He keeps you know? it in,
4: in a test tube under his bed, and it crawls yeah, out yeah, at he... night. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just like a great you like one of like,
4: worms like, from Slither.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways we could go with this, Rain. a lot of ways, which you know, and after this podcast, I think that series is, you know, the updated uh, Gritty Mork and Mindy is an easy sell. I think at this point, Pro- probably probably a let me get a let me get up.
4: Nolan on the phone here. Let me get <laughs> Nolan on the phone.
1: Nolan, drop
4: whatever you're doing. Um, we're
1: doing, we're doing yeah. more Mindy. We're doing Let's
4: more Mindy. Comm- Let's see what we got. Yeah, oh, I don't have him in my contact list. Anymore.
1: Shit. All right. Let me look it up. Oh yeah. I don't, uh, I mean, I just wrote the name Christopher Nolan in my contacts, but there's no phone number or anything. <laughs> so I,
4: don't know. I put your number there. I hope that's okay. Under oh, yeah, Nolan. that's totally fine.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I still, we used have the same first name. I mean, I'll answer to it
4: in a, in a, in a pinch. i like, let me call Nolan. If the, if your phone rings, it might be me. Wait a, a minute. Be... So can you do a British
1: my... accent? Oh, I've, oh, I can do a pretty good British accent there, governor. Oh no, that's a little more Australian. Um, well, I suppose. Is he British? Right, Rain. So what we're going to do with Mork and Mindy? Right. That's gonna, good.
4: You, well, right, right. So, so Mork's um, but darker, more intense. Same thing, but darker, more intense. Mork's cock is like it's separate, <laughs> it's separate from his fucking
1: body, right? And it's got these arms, right? Because he's organ, you know. And it lays its own fucking eggs. So it's like you, you know, like. You you jeez, but this like it's like an egg factory, right? It's fucking just like there's eggs. It's like a fucking egg fight. It's like it's like fucking it like Chicken Run, but NC Seventeen, right? Is that am I? I'm just going into Billy Idol now. Now I'm just like
4: dancing with up? myself. Like um, days I used. To it's do. like the room in Alien, you know, when all of the eggs open up at the same time. <laughs> Everyone is an orkin.
1: Oh my god, this is great! The mashup of Alien and the room and Morgan Mindy.
4: <laughs> yes. And people doing bad British accents. Oh my, this could be good. Oh, this you know, could be good. Uh, by the way, I like the idea
1: that my contact information is in Christopher Nolan's contact. That is a very incepted type of. Ooh. Uh,
4: it's just,
1: just multi layered. Yep. One of these days, you, have, you, have you met? I've never met him. Have you met him? Have you ever worked with no, him? No, I haven't, no. Someday you will, and you'll pitch this idea. If, you know, if he doesn't already catch wind of this stellar idea that we, this, this incredible Jonathan winters size egg that we have laid on this podcast. Please,
4: someone, someone who is a fan of this podcast, please come up with the movie poster or the behind the scene photos of Christopher Nolan's Mork and Mindy, produced by Rain Wilson and Christopher Hardwick. Well, I with think- Rain Wilson as Mork, the dark, edgy, I want to see some artwork around this, is what I want to see.
1: I think because there was the alien poster. Um, I think space. Uh, no one
4: can hear you scream.
1: Well, there was that one, but but also the alien poster that was just the uh, the green. Oh, it's fucking perfect. The um, that alien poster that just had the the, the egg and the yeah. green like uh, fissure at the bottom. Right. So you just make that like an egg, like an Orkin egg. Yeah. And it's already right there. Do my first question is: Do you have the rainbow suspenders with the pointy finger? Coming
4: out of the egg. Yeah. It's the egg. It's the alien alien egg with the Mork rainbow suspenders on the egg. Wait a minute. And and maybe there's even a a weird little face peeking out of the top like, no, 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 no. But remember, this was, I'm doing the. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, this thing. No, but that's uh, Spock. But he had a thing. He had a hand sign too. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah. No, 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 no.
4: Yeah, he did the Nanu Nanu. So the Nanu Nanu sign.
1: Somewhere Rain. Shit, where is it? I feel like I have a picture of us that Rob sent where you and I, it was a candid, it was like one of those photos when we were, uh, he, he took all these pictures of us like they were our lifestyle photos in the movie. Yes. Like they yeah, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Behind the scenes things and we were and in.
1: I feel like there's one where there's like one of us has an I'm with stupid shirt, I think. And I wonder, are there more suspenders in there? They, I feel like
4: <laughs> I be don't crazy. think there were. There might have been some suspenders. I don't think there were more suspenders.
1: I honestly feel that this is the kind of thing that I know. I know we're riffing, and I know we're just like throwing fun riffs out there. But I really do believe that this could happen. I'm like, this could make a cool thing because I, I, you know, for the longest time, I was trying to figure just,
4: out. I just sorry to interrupt, Chris. I just saw something in your in your eye. Do you have something in your eye? Are those are those dollar signs? <laughs> I'm throwing up bleh, gold coins. Bleh, bleh. Ching 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 ching,
1: ching. <laughs> Sorry,
4: I interrupted. Go ahead. What, what were you? No, saying? no,
1: no, no. I uh, I've always been fascinated by the story of Greatest American Hero, the series with William Cat. Yeah, I don't know.
4: I don't know the story. Is there a story behind it? Not not a story behind the making, but just the story of
1: the series because it's so ripe. To be remade because the, the 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 premise of it is fucking amazing, which is just regular guy gets yeah. a a super suit, loses the instructions. That's it. So how <laughs> does he? And if and the show only lasted a few seasons because around the third season they rightfully assumed like well sooner or later he's gonna have to get better at using this suit. So when it became just like a regular superhero show, it got less interesting. But it was. Really funny, and I know for years that has been bopping around. Like that script idea has been bopping around. That's
4: right, I heard that, but yeah. never really
1: found purchase anywhere. But that
4: was that was the only funny thing about the show. Greatest American Hero was the footage of him going whoa, well,
1: don't
4: forget Robert spinning Robert around, around and then crashing. Awesome.
1: Robert Culp played Bill Maxwell, the grizzled FBI agent that he gets paired with. I love and that you know Robert that. Culp was just fucking great in that, too. That's yeah, fantastic.
4: It's, yeah. He's it, Robert Culp of iSpy. Uh, Robert Culp of I Spy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. I'm just showing yep. my nerd cred a little
1: bit. Yep. Yep. Thank yep. You. Uh, so, you know, I feel like, you know what, also I think is ready for a refresh, like an edgy refresh? Quantum Leap. That fucking show would be so rad. I love Quantum Leap. It's the best. I don't know how you do. I mean, Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell were so fucking awesome in it. So I don't know how you redo it, but it. But that concept too of just like he can only travel within his own lifetime, and he just has to set things in history right. And he's a brilliant. He's a brilliant. He's a brilliant scientist. And there's a robot machine that gives him the probability on what he's like. It's a fucking
4: great. Yeah. It's a you great conceit. People in the
1: mirror every week. What a fun acting exercise. Yeah. So I love, I love
4: Bacula yeah. landing in a new, in a new locale and trying oh, and having that, that the most fun part of every episode was the two minutes of Bacula figuring out where he was and what was going on and who he was finding a mirror. Listening. Oh, I'm a pregnant lady.
3: <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah. And trying to answer in a, in a way that's really like general. Cause like, You know, he, all of a sudden he's in a new body and someone comes in like, how dare you? And then he'd be like, how dare I, (laughs) you know, he'd have to have that perfect response until he could figure out exactly what going on. That
1: would be a really fun improv game, by the way, like Quantum Leap as an improv game where one person plays Sam and they have to leave the, I'm sure there's a game like Yeah. And you
4: said, no, that's, that's a brilliant idea. This is an improv game. And then three other people and they set the circumstances. And the audience knows
1: the circumstances. And the other actors know the circumstances, but right. the person coming in does
4: not. Like the next, the, the person who's in the hallway right now, when they come in, they are pregnant with your child. However, they were having an affair with you, and they're actually the father of this person. And um, ready, go! And you've got like two minutes to figure out who but your the, quantum leap is into.
1: But the uh, but the but the the thing that makes the quantum leap improv game is that someone has to play the Al character that comes in occasionally to try to, like, direct them if they're going off course, you know? Oh, right, 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 yeah. So that's, I think, where it becomes... And then, especially, like, the person playing the Sam just comes in in the full leotard that he wore when he was in the the weird particle accelerator machine. Yeah. So, this is great. I don't know how to. This isn't. This is going to be fun can, for ten. Can people, we?
4: Can we, can we start our production company together? I think you already have one. I'll join yeah. your production company. Yeah, Listen,
2: absolutely.
4: Do you? Did you ever stay at the Sutton Place Hotel in Vancouver when you were shooting up there?
1: Of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't. I've. I've. Yeah. I have stayed. Yes. I absolutely have stayed up. So
4: there. So this is for those listening. There's this one central hotel that if you go shoot in Vancouver. Pretty much everyone stays at called the Sutton Place, and it's a pretty nice hotel, but they have, like, apartment units and stuff like that. You never know who you're going to run into the weirdest assortment of actors uh, at the Sutton Place Vancouver. I went, and I think I was shooting an episode of—I'm going to date myself here, but we're talking about House of a Thousand Corpses, which was from 2001. Um, I think I was shooting an episode of Dark Angel. Oh, my God. The Jessica Alba Dark Angel. With Jessica Alba, which also could use a reboot, by the way. That was very prescient. That was a post-apocalyptic kind of, what do you call those shows? The, 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 the Dystopian Future? Yeah, Dystopian Future. That was the original Dystopian Future TV show. It was, you know. But I ran into Dean Stockwell in the laundry room. <laughs> oh rain! There's a 39 percent probability you gotta add <laughs> fabric it. That's exactly it. And fun said, fact, fun fact, a sheet. fun fact: Dean Stockwell played the original Edmund in Eugene O'Neill's Long Day's Journey Into Night, the movie from the 1950s. And I had also played Edmund in Long Day's Journey Into Night, the classic American tragedy. And there he was, like my hero from both. Long day's journeying tonight, and quantum leap doing his underwear in the Sutton Place laundromat, and that was—I very rarely become starstruck in seeing people, but I was like, "Oh, hello, uh, Mr. Stockwell! Uh, hello, hello, sir! Oh my, uh, uh, I'm such a big fan." Uh, Are you how's
1: your? Or boxers?
4: Um, yeah, tidy whities Tidy whities yeah. yeah. Why?
1: Why? Why not? Why go against a classic with with skid marks? <laughs> Wait a minute! Now, come on! Yeah, That's no, yeah. Yeah. encrusted. No, Incrusted that is okay, that in, is feces. Way out in of line. feces. No, that's not, you're just making that up. I think feces and so it wasn't even in your underwear. Were you
4: looking at your? That's not wasn't even his feces. That's yes, I mean, this it is it starts to get shocking claims. Might have been Bacula's feces. I don't, I don't, I
1: mean, this is now you're way off the map, Rain. Yeah. I just don't feel like this is acceptable. blood.
4: On okay, now you're just okay. You know what? Fluids. Yeah, now okay. You're
1: just right, adding. Right. You're just adding fluids. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yes. To the yes, so it's, yes. Yeah. That's way off. The that did not happen. It, it did not happen at sudden place. It happened at the Holiday Inn Express now,
4: <laughs> in North Hollywood.
1: <laughs> I don't know why the specificity of that. Just <laughs> it's like you throw you in a good it. like specific little. You know, just like a township, and all of a sudden, it just brings the, the
4: for life. those Angelinos. The, the The San Fernando Valley provides lots of those. You know, you could throw in Reseda; it's good. Tarzana, you know, yeah,
1: yeah. Tarzana is great. You know, it, yeah, it, you could say no whole Arts District, and people would know. You know, yeah. like that's fun.
4: It really you know? sets it. You know what you're talking about.
1: Studio Studio City. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you could yeah. throw in a Victory Boulevard, and people would be uh, puzzled. They,
4: they'll get it. Yeah, they'll get it. <laughs>
1: Um, but before we wrap this up, I do want to show you one, uh, cause we collect, uh, my wife and I collect, um, movie props of things. And, um, this just is like a, Rob does. Yeah. This is an actual blaster from galaxy quest.
4: Oh I my think. God. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Look at
1: that guy. My, my wife's my wife. That's fantastic.
4: Wife. You guys separate it. So it's like she has her things and your things. Can't you just have common well, ownership? No, there are things, but
1: I like to point out what what are Lydia's things because people always wrongly assume that uh like oh all this did your wife let you keep all this nerd stuff it's like no like um, m- most of it's hers <laughs> you know,
4: like she, <laughs> That is awesome.
1: She, I collect all the I collect the Disney stuff and like the comedy movie props and Lydia collects like the horror yeah stuff and you know I have a back to the future thing up here but she's got gremlins over there and and um werewolf heads and stuff from army of darkness and the galaxy quest blaster is hers.
4: That's fantastic. One time, one time Guillermo del Toro took me on a tour of his collection.
1: Oh my gosh. How was it?
4: I mean, it's, I mean, they literally like his house was a museum where people come to see him. Like they uh literally did make a museum show out of Guillermo del Toro's collection of movies. it's not even like but it's not even like oh this is a very popular movie here's a prop from a popular movie I mean it was just the weirdest stuff you've ever I can't even remember what it what it was like but it's astonishing if you ever get a chance Did
1: he did he have any uh, Galaxy Quest stuff?
4: He did not have Galaxy Quest stuff that I can
1: So remember. I guess Guillermo has been put on notice to get some Galaxy Quest stuff. Yeah, you heard it here. Right ahead of the have you ever seen, by the way, just as a total tangent before I let you go? Have you ever seen the uh, the Munster, like the Munsters uh, or Adams Family House in? Uh, oh wait, this might be the oh this is the Adams Family House. There are pictures online of what the Adams Family House looked like in color, like just like a color photograph, okay. and it's so odd because we think of it as black and white. And the thing that triggered it for me was you saying, oh, like Rob's collection, because Rob has stuff from the original Adams Family set. Right. Um, in, in his collection.
4: He is uh, the original creature from the Black Lagoon.
1: And he also has an original um, Planet of the Apes uh, costume. Yes. Well, yes. I mean, it's like he's got some real- He's got an
4: orangutan. Yeah, yeah.
1: And he, and, and, and he was buying stuff in the 90s when things were- was cheap.
4: He could Cheaper. buy it for like three, $500 or something like that. Yeah.
1: Because they're like the, the passion for that kind of collecting hadn't exploded yet. And you weren't bidding against literally every, you know, wealthy nerd in the universe yeah. on yeah. the internet.
4: The Silicon Valley billionaires that are, <laughs> <laughs> that want the galaxy quest guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I saw that movie, give them a million dollars. What the fuck? I can't, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Do you
4: collect anything?
1: um i see a chess clock in your background
4: i've got a chess clock no i have a bassoon i have i have some lps i don't am not really a collector not really a collector do you
1: play the bassoon i do yeah
4: like still regularly play irregularly but i i invested in a very beautiful bassoon and so do you, they keep their value chris they keep their value
1: you can't uh are there solo bassoonists or do you have to play with an ensemble
4: Oh yeah, you could you could tear it up solo bassoon. Are you kidding me?
1: Yeah. Why are you not posting bassoon
4: videos? I uh, see a lot of I did guitar- one or two. Oh. One or two I did. Yeah, done. Okay. I I need to do more. I'll do more. Thank you for the inspiration. I'll do more. I was taking lessons for a while, but I've I've fallen off. And I'm very I'm extremely mediocre. But I basically think anyone who can make a noise on one of those things is deserves a medal. So
1: Because you have to, you have to, like, the air has to really push through quite a, has to travel a great distance. It's all
4: about the reed, Chris. It's all about the reed. I'm going to show you what it's it's all about, is this thing. How do you make a noise out of that thing? You've got to soak it. I'm holding up a bassoon reed to my Zoom camera.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't suppose, I don't suppose there would be a bassoon ending to take us to the end of the podcast. Oh, no! In my greatest James Lipton... See,
4: I would love to do that, Chris, but I can't unless I send it in later because I have to. So, you have to soak this reed and get it really soft before you can make a noise on it. Otherwise, it's... <laughs> you can't really make a... You can't make a noise on it. It's like a little kazoo. God damn.
1: Otherwise, it's like a puppy fart. Like, there's yeah. no.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I do play the puppy fart. Yep, yep. Solo puppy fart.
1: Oh, uh, well... You got off this time, Rain Wilson, but the next time,
4: soak that reed. I'll be ready with a soaked reed. I'll be ready for you.
1: So people should absolutely, uh, when they are done with this podcast, go listen to Dark Air with Terry Carnation, which is uh, from Audio Boom, which is a great, uh, very nice. I've worked with Audio Boom before; really nice folks. Over yeah, Audioboom. they're
4: great. They're they're. I love. I've loved working with them. They're so nice. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and uh, there are how many mm-hmm. total? 15. Oh wow, that's fantastic.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I hope to see you in person someday. I feel like the in-person thing is so we really used to take for granted that we might run into people out in the world and now it's just uh
4: We just don't do it. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Nope.
1: Nope. And you don't really run into people on Zoom, unfortunately. <laughs> They should, oh my they god, should. what are you doing on Zoom? I didn't expect no, yeah, They should I, have Zoom
4: Roulette. Like, you know? The <laughs> Remember they had chat, roulette, chat Zoom roulette. roulette.
1: God, I really thought chat roulette was gonna be like a big thing, but I guess it was just like too many people just took their dicks out on it. It and was like, just oh, a, a
4: lot dickhead. of it was a lot of alien penises yeah. out there. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, no,
1: okay,
4: more- I, I've been double vaccinated. Invite me over anytime I want to get a tour of your collection.
1: I would love to see you. We we have also been vaccinated, and we we uh, we will still uh, we are happy to receive guests today, still socially responsible in slightly distanced uh, fashion. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to see you. Please, uh, please, a- a anytime. I feel like, uh, I mean, I would not mention where you live on the podcast, but I feel like we don't probably don't live super far. I the-
4: moved the- even further out of LA. So oh, you I did? Am, yes, I'm not going to say the town, but I am. I'm well outside of Los Angeles. But I I come in a lot, so I'm happy to how, do it. How does
1: it feel? Do you feel sort of like uh, you know like d- does it feel nice to sort of be removed from the look the a... p- hustle and bustle? Of oh, look at that.
4: We've got trees. I I have a orch- I have an orchard. That's g-
1: g- g- green? Is that the color? <laughs> I don't we don't see a lot of it in Los Soylent Angeles. Soilent green. It's a yeah, that's nice. that that sort of help uh you know b- Especially now, when I feel like we're starting to realize, I think a lot of actors are realizing, like, oh, I think I used to have to live in LA to go to auditions, but I can just submit them all. I can really don't have to. You don't, you don't, have, don't have to live in LA. You
4: don't have to live in the
1: cesspool <laughs> called Los Angeles. Doesn't even shoot here. Like, what's the fucking end up? Nothing shoots. In Atlanta nothing or shoots Vancouver in all- or Nashville or Toronto. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't even matter anymore.
4: Chris, it's always such a pleasure to see you. You're a positive, beautiful human being, and you make the world a better place. And that is a rare thing to say about a human.
1: I love your face. I miss you, and I um, long—I I long to see you in person, my friend. I, l- I long for you as well. All right, uh, the end.
0: ID
2: 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. <laughs>
0: And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet.